8, we're going to pick up at verse 37. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 37. And while you're turning there, let me just uh, mention uh, this Sunday we will finalize our series of sermons on the names of God. Uh, what a wonderful time it's been this summer uh, exploring all these different names of God and how he has revealed himself to us. I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, there's nothing that excites a preacher any more than to hear the language of the people beginning to change as you preach through different series of messages. And, uh, you know, I see your Facebook post, I hear your, your words as, I, as you're speaking to other people, it becomes evident to me that you're not only listening, but you're incorporating those principles into your life. And uh, that's when it really takes root and you, you really begin to see the change in your life. Uh, just this week, I had a conversation with someone, uh, and you don't need to know about the situation, but they, they were in a situation that was not positive and, and had been in that situation for quite some while, uh, for some time, and, and in the course of conversation discovered that, uh, that certain knowledge and wisdom had, had come to light and decisions were made that uh, took them out of a particular situation and into another situation that that was positive and and, and it's just very it's very positive when we begin to not just listen but actually do what the word of god says and we're not just hearers only but we're doers of the word because that's when it really takes root in our lives so i'm i'm just very happy now two weeks from tonight we will begin a brand new series of studies I will not be here next week. I'm going to be I'm going to be gone for a few days, and uh, I don't really know where I'm going to be all the time. I'm just going away, and I'm going to take Donna with me, and uh, you'll be in good hands. The Lord loves you, and uh, He won't take His hand off of you. But I'm going to take my hand off of you for for a few days, and I'm going to go out of town. And so I'll be here this Sunday, though, but I won't be here next Wednesday night. Uh, we'll have somebody here who's qualified to, to uh, speak and teach and preach. And then two weeks from tonight, we will begin a brand new series of messages entitled Fasting for Breakthrough. And we're going to, I really, this is one that the Lord really has laid upon my heart I, uh, in recent weeks. Because our, our church has so many families right now that are just dealing with issues in their homes, in their lives, in their relationships and uh, it just seems like that they're in a, a, a stuck place. Have you ever been in a stuck place? You, you can't go forward, can't go backward, can't go sideways. And there needs to be something that brings breakthrough. And scripture teaches us that fasting is, is the way to accomplish that. And I hope you'll come. Uh, fasting is one of those things that most people don't like to talk about. Because when you start talking about something like fasting, then you feel, you feel this pressure to do it. Well, I feel pressured now. He's preaching, teaching on it. Now I feel pressured that I'm going to have to. But I hope that what you'll see is, is that while fasting does bring a, a level of sacrifice to our bodies and, it, and at times suffering, it produces a very positive fruit in our lives. It's like pruning a plant back 
You know, if you don't prune that plant back a little bit every now and then, it can't come back and grow back the way that it needs to. And so I hope that you'll come two weeks from tonight and we'll get started. We should have the books. We've ordered 25 books so that you can have those and read through those and then come prepared uh, for the lessons on Wednesday night. And it's, it's going to be a good study. And then in September on Sunday mornings, we're going to be talking about vision for your lives. We're going to talk about living life by design and not by default. Uh, God has a destiny for every one of us. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows where you need to be going and how you need to get there. And if we can tap into that, then we can get up every day with that destiny in mind. And we don't go to the default setting, but we begin to live our lives in every area of our life according to the design that God has for us. And so when we start doing that, then amazing things begin to show up in our lives. So it's going to be fun, and I want you to be here and be a part of it. Okay, John chapter 8, beginning at verse 37. Now, just by way of review, uh, somebody help me and talk to me, if you will. What has been the purpose of this study as we have gone through these initial chapters in the book of John? What have we been talking about? Anybody, anybody remember? Just go ahead and blurt it out. Just speak it out. Miracles and sign is one of that, and one of those things, and, and the difference between a miracle and a sign is what? For the purpose of this study has been what? Anybody? Yeah, and we've talked about that extensively as well. You've really been listening. And I'm glad to hear that. The difference between a miracle and a sign is that a miracle is something that God does for us in the supernatural uh, because of his, his mercy. He sees someone in need and so he reaches out and performs the miraculous on their behalf uh, because he is a merciful God. A sign, on the other hand, is something that is supernatural. It can be natural or supernatural, but the purpose of the sign is to point people to Christ so that people can see him and have a revelation of him in a way that they never could have had it not been for the sign. So when we, when we talk about miracles and signs, the miracles are those things that God does, uh, and, and particularly in this study, through Christ, through Jesus He does these miraculous things because he loves us and because he is merciful. The scripture talks about, let us come therefore boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The mercy there is defined as compassionate treatment in the time of need. Grace, on the other hand, is that supernatural anointing that allows an individual to be productive and, and, and victorious in a time when the answer is either no or wait until the answer can fully manifest. And so God gives grace in those moments. But either way, he does not leave us hanging, does he? No, he either gives us grace for the moment to be able to move through that circumstance with the knowledge 
and the revelation and the wisdom and the patience that we need uh, until the answer comes and then mercy manifest the miraculous among in our lives. So very good, very good. Uh, so this, this whole study has been uh, to show that Jesus came among us in this particular study to, to let it be known that he is in fact who he says he is, that, that he is in fact the son of God. And that, that it, he's proving to them that they can trust him and believe him and take him at his word. And so it's very important for us to understand that. So chapter 8, beginning at verse 37, we'll move forward. Now, if you'll remember, last week we ended with verse 36 where it says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, how many of you have heard me quote that a lot? And you've probably quoted it a lot. But in the context now, we're talking about uh, the relationship between an employer and an employee or a, a master and a slave, whereby the relationship is one that uh, the, the master or the employer is the owner he is the one responsible for, but then the, the employee is the one who lives alongside of the, the employer. Uh, but at the end of the day, when the job is done, the, the slave or the employee leaves the master's household. But then the scripture says, but the son does not. The son remains. The son has the same authority as the owner of the house. That's what Jesus was trying to say to them. He's trying to say, because I am the son of the father, I don't leave the father's household. And the same authority that the father operates with, the son operates with. So when the son sets you free, he doesn't have to go ask the father's permission. He doesn't have to go say, well, you just wait right there until I go talk to the Father because I'm not sure on this one. I don't, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. No, what he's saying is, is that as the Son, I have the full authority. I operate in the same realm as does the Father. I have his authority. And so when you approach me as the son, you're approaching someone who has the authority and the ability to set you free. And when the son sets you free, you are free indeed. It's not a halfway blessing. It's not a partial blessing until the father puts his approval on it. When the son says you're free or when the son provides a resource, then it is as though the father himself has done so. And, and, and after all, right now we understand, where is the Son of God? He is in the heavenlies with the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father, in a place of authority where he ever lives to intercede on, on your behalf, on our behalf. And the, and the Holy Spirit is here in us, and he is functioning in us in a role that manifests the promises and the blessings of God in our life. So it's an, it, it's an exciting concept, and that's what Jesus is saying. Now, he's having this argument with, with them, and, and beginning in verse 37, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. 
I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And they answered, and they said to him, well, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, and Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Now Jesus is taking them somewhere. He's getting them to a place where he's getting ready to drop the bombshell on them. You'll see it in just a second. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Now I didn't come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech or my words? It is because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, and here it is. You ready? Boom shakalaka. You are of your father, the devil. And he and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and he is the father of it. In other words, he's the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. So which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you don't hear because you are not of God. Now, so Jesus is having this conversation with them. And he is making it very clear that there's a huge difference in what they perceive to be truth and what is actually truth. And they're coming and they're saying, look, you can't be from the Father because we're from the Father, but the Father is Abraham. And Jesus is saying the Father that I'm talking about is not Abraham. The Father I'm talking about is my heavenly Father. And so we got to get here on the same page. I'm not from a natural Father, and you're not from a heavenly Father, a spiritual Father. So we're not on the same page here. We're not comparing apples with apples. We're comparing apples with oranges. And so we've got to come to this, this understanding. And they said, well, Abraham's our father. And he said, no, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Now, what's he talking about here? If you go back to the Old Testament scripture, you know that the Old Testament, and we've talked about this, is full of... Uh, uh, types and shadows. Everything that's talked about in the Old Testament is, is pointing to the coming Messiah. And, and so the words of Abraham, the life of Abraham, 
What, what Abraham did and said was pointing toward a day in the future when Jesus would come as the Son of God. And so what he's saying to them is, if you were perceptive of, enough of Abraham's words, then you would know in your spirit that what Abraham said was talking about me, the Son of God. You would understand that. But because you don't understand that, then it is obvious that you are not children of, of Abraham's thinking and his theology and what he was talking about. So he said, if you were his children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now, instead, you want to kill me. You want to kill the very one that Abraham was pointing to. And I'm a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. And Abraham did not do this. And here's what he's saying. Abraham did not have the same access to the knowledge of the heavenly father. The only thing that Abraham had was what was spoken to him in bits and pieces. He did not have full revelation. Now, we talked about a few weeks ago, I don't know if you remember this or not, but we talked about this idea of progressive revelation. In other words, God didn't give us the whole thing from the very beginning because we couldn't have handled it all. And so he gives us a little upon at a time, a little on upon a little, upon a little, upon a little, and he reveals himself. So we get to Abraham, and Abraham writes... And he speaks according to what he knows, but he doesn't have full revelation. He doesn't have the same revelation knowledge that Jesus had. And so that's what he's pointing out to them. He's saying, you're, you know, you're talking about Abraham here, but Abraham's knowledge was partial. But then he goes on and, he, and he's saying, but mine is not because I was with the father. And even now, even though I am here in bodily form, I'm still with the Father. And I am connected to the Father in such a way that the words that I speak are not actually my words, but they are the words that the Father is giving me to say. Now, that's powerful. That's a powerful concept. Have you ever thought in your own life, uh, maybe you knew that you were going to be talking to someone about the Lord or you needed to give them some wisdom or some counsel and you thought, I'm not sure what to say. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how to approach this. And then when they got there, as you started having this conversation, God began to reveal things to you to say that would be helpful. That's what he told the disciples. He said, go out and preach the gospel of Jesus. And don't worry about what you're going to say. Because in the moment when you're called upon to defend me, when you're called upon to speak on my behalf, the Holy Spirit of God is going to rise up in you and you're going to say things that you didn't plan to say and didn't even know to say, but it will be the Spirit of God living and dwelling within you. Aren't you glad to know that God the Father and Jesus Christ trust us enough to put His Spirit in us? And to give the Spirit the authority to speak in us and through us. I have the authority of Christ in me. You have the same thing. If Christ is in you, you can speak with authority according to the Word of God. And that's what he's saying. 
He's saying, look, I'm connected to God the Father. You're not because it's obvious if you were connected the way that you think you're connected, you would not be trying to kill me because you would know in your spirit that this is the Son of God. This is Messiah. And not only from the words of the Spirit, but John the Baptist had been there declaring the way. Now, John the Baptist is out of the picture now, but he was the one who was declaring, who said, who said Behold, the Lamb of God, as he comes, the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus and lit upon him. They should have known. They should have known, but they did not know. And that's the source of this conversation. Jesus is saying, you're not, your father's not the same father that I'm talking about. And then they said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now, now what does that mean? Why, what, are they, what are they saying to Jesus? Are they saying, well, we were not born of fornication, but you were born of fornication. Is that what they were saying? What were they saying and meaning when they said this? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, is that in, if, if you just took the birth of Jesus Christ and looked at it in the natural, it would, it would appear that Jesus was born of fornication because Mary conceived but Joseph denied being the father of the child. And Joseph was not the father of the child. He, he was not the natural father. Now, we know there was no natural father. But put yourself in their shoes, if you would. And here's a young lady who is betrothed to Joseph. And in this betrothal period, she comes up pregnant. And Joseph says, not my kid. Pulls a little... Pulls a little Michael Jackson on, you know. You know. <clears throat> but it's not my child. So in the natural, it looked like that Mary had conceived the child that would ultimately come, become Jesus. How? Through fornication. So fornication being sexual intercourse outside of the bonds of marriage. That's what fornication is. That's the reason it's wrong, in case anybody's wondering about that. But fornication. So they're saying, they're, they're, they're snipping at Jesus. And they're saying, oh, okay, if you want to get smart, then let's just throw the whole ball of wax out there. At least we're not born from fornication. You were born from fornication. That's what they're saying to him. Right now. So he said, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And then Jesus said, listen, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? He asked them a question. And then he answers it for them. You ever had God ask you a question and then turn around and answer it for you? That's, that's what he says. He, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. 
Now, now what he means there is, is that you're not at, you're hearing with your ears what I'm saying, but you're not perceiving the truth of what I'm saying. You're not perceiving the spiritual revelation that my word is bringing. Have you ever, in your personal devotions, have you ever gone to scripture and read something and, and you thought you knew what it meant, but it just wasn't clicking? I mean, it just, it just wasn't coming together for you. And you read it and you read it and you read it, and then you went back and you read it and you read it some more, and you maybe asked a friend or two what they thought about it. But for whatever reasons, it just was not clicking. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's really what he's saying is, is that you are not in a place spiritually where you can discern the truth of the words that I'm speaking. Because if you were truly the son of Abraham, the son of righteousness, if you were walking in the righteousness of Abraham, you would understand what it is that I'm talking about. And yet you cannot understand it because spiritually you are not where you need to be. Can that be a lesson for us? That there are times that we just don't understand. There are times that we don't get the, the, the miracle or we don't have access to the resources that God has for us, not because we don't know it, but because we don't understand it. We, we, we can't get it in our spirit. It, it's not clicking there in such a way that we can that we can access that promise or that word that, that God is bringing to us. And that's why I said earlier, it's so exciting for a preacher and a teacher to hear people's language start changing. I'm not talking about whether you, you one time cussed and now you don't. I'm not, I'm not talking about But the way that you speak is different. The way that you talk is different. The way that you perceive things is different. And it's because of the impact of the word of God in your life. I'm thankful. I'm, I've been serving the Lord a lot of years now. And I still have a way to go to get to the place of maturity that I want to be. But I thank God I'm not where I used to be. I thank God that I'm not limited in my walk with him the way that I used to be. And the reason that I'm not is because I have, I have eaten this book and I have read this word in such a way. Listen. You don't have to read the Bible through every year of your life. I'd rather you read one verse per day and really get it down in your spirit so that you could say every day, I get that. Not only do I get that, I'm going to do that because when I do that, it's going to change my life. He's not, he's not going to give Sunday school pins to you when you get to heaven that hang down to your kneecaps for the number of times that you read the Bible through. I'm sorry to disappoint some of you. How many of you remember the old Sunday school pins? Anybody? There's a few of you. And for those of you who don't remember that, you've missed out on one of the true spiritual blessings of the church. <laughs> really? Yeah, can you just see, if he, if he does, if he does give you those kind of pins in heaven, you know what you're going to do? You're going to take it off and put it at his feet because you're not going to keep any crown that he gives you. You're going to lay it before him in worship to who he is. But you see, it, it, it's, it's not about how many times you read the Bible through. It's how much you perceive and how much you come. Now he's getting ready to attack their hide to the wall. 
And he said, you don't understand my speech because you're not able to listen to my word because you are of your father, the devil. Who's the devil? Don't look at your spouse right now. I mean, that, man, that would be the worst time in the world to look at your husband or wife. Who's the devil? He's the devil. Lucifer. Satan. The one who's out to get you. The one who came to steal from you, to kill you, to thieve from you. Yeah, deceive you, destroy you, accuse you. And that's what he's saying. He said, he's your father. And the desires of your father, who? Who? Your father, the devil, you want to do. He's saying there's still a malfunction in your spirit because you want to do what your father, the devil, wants you to do. Now, how many of you know if we're living in that kind of mindset, you may as well forget walking in the blessings of God. You, 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 can't, you, can't, have, you can't wake up in the morning and say, devil, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to get? Because if I can get them, I'll get them. I mean, and, and that's what I'm talking about. We don't live by default because that's the default. That we were born into that kind of mentality. We were born through Adam into that kind of sin. That's the default living. But once Jesus comes into our lives, we don't live by default anymore. We live by design. So we don't wake up in the morning and say, devil, what would you have me do? But we say, devil, get thee behind me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The words that I say are going to exalt him. They're going to be fruitful. They're going to be positive. And I'm going to do the things of God. He said, your father, the devil... It's telling you what to do, and you still have a desire to do those. Now, let's just be honest here. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin. Does it say that? There's pleasure in sin, period? Question mark? Oh, you mean there's more to it? Really? I didn't know that. I just thought we were supposed to sin and enjoy it. That's what I thought. <laughs> no, it says there's pleasure in sin for a season. So after a while, it works so much negativity in our lives, it ceases to be enjoyable, pleasurable, because it's not working righteousness in our lives. So, but you're enjoying it. You wake up wanting to do what the devil wants you to do. Then he goes on, he said, he was a murderer. From the very beginning. Now, have you thought about that? Who did he murder? Who did the devil murder from the beginning? Have you ever thought about it? And the, the, the reference here is that he influenced Cain and Abel in their lives. And because of his influence, murder took place. So everything that the devil does is done in that negative vein. Some, from the very beginning, he's been out to kill, steal, and to destroy. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Now, 
Let, let, let's talk about that for a minute. Because the devil does know what truth is. He knows what truth is. But the scripture says he does not stand in it. Do you ever know anybody that they change their, their story all the time? Or you talk to them one minute and ten minutes from now, they got a totally different story. Because they're not standing in the truth. They don't know what's true and what's not. And so they, they hear something that sounds like truth to them, so they take that as truth. And then later on, they realize that that's not going to play out very well, so I need to get a different story. You know, I need to come up with something else. And that's the problem with lying. That's one of the problems because you have to keep changing your story all the time. You remember being a kid and you got caught red-handed and your parents said, we're going we're to spank you or we're going to put you in the corner or whatever. And immediately your mind starts thinking, okay, I misplayed this one somehow. But I, if I think about it long enough, I can probably come up with, up, up with a story that will help this situation. You see, the scripture says the devil does not stand in the truth. He doesn't, he doesn't take a truthful position and then stand there. But, but he goes wherever he has to go to get a tidbit here and a tidbit here. And he can craft a pretty good story that will cause you to feel like, you know, that seems like a good idea to me. And even though there may be morsels of truth, because there's a little bit of yeast in the bread, it will eventually, it will go through the whole loaf. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying there's, there's no truth in him. He doesn't stand in the truth. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He's identified as the father of lies. Anybody ever lied to you? Has anybody ever in your life lied to you? You know where it came from? Scripture just now tells us that it originated from Satan himself. Now, you don't need to go tell that person that they're a devil, you know, and start casting it out of them. Why not? Did you say why not? <laughs> Oh, Jesus, God, help me. But what it means is, is that as mature men and women of God, you should be able to discern that. You have the ability, you have the mind of Christ. Have you ever had somebody just pull the wool over your eyes? I have. I've, since I've been here, I've had people pull the wool over my eyes. I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt. I really did. I wanted to believe certain things. I really did. But for some reason, it became evident that what my perception was was wrong. And it, it was because my discerner wasn't working right. But listen, let me tell you something. When your discerner is not working right, it's only because you don't really want it to work right. Yeah, how many of you like ice cream? Can I see your hands? God, I love ice cream. But ice cream's not all that good for you. How many of you know that? You know, a little bit is okay, but I can eat the whole thing, can't you? And at one time, I, I, I thought that brought glory to God. You know, I loved it. And I can talk myself into believing 
that if I eat ice cream, God would be pleased with that because he wants me to live an abundant life. He wants me to be blessed. I should eat that ice cream for the glory of God. Every spoonful that goes into my mouth, be praised, God, be glorified in my life. I can tell myself that story all I want to, but the only the, the, the reality is I'm lying to myself. My discerner is off. And when we let people lie to us and keep lying to us and keep lying to us, our discerner eventually won't work anymore. It, it gets out of order. Do you know, do you know what the number one problem? The, the, let, me, let me rephrase that. The number one uh, roadblock to church health is. Healthy church. Not talking about big number churches growing by leaps and bounds. We're talking about healthy churches. You know what the number one roadblock is? The number one roadblock to having a healthy church is refusing to confront those who are causing disunity in the body of Christ. It's the number one reason because we have people come in and they're there and they're not causing, they're not bringing unity. They, they, they've, got a, they've got a problem with everything that is done and we want to love them. Bless your heart. We just love you and we just whatever, you know, just come on, praise God, you know. But listen, if they're not meant to be here, by God, if God has not assigned them to this body of believers, they don't need to be here. And at some point, leadership within the church has to confront that individual and say, look, we do love you with the love of Christ, but God probably has not called you to this congregation. He's probably called you somewhere else. So the sooner you can get there, the better off you are. And the better off we're going to be. But we don't like to confront, do we? We don't even like to confront our husband or our wife. Our grandparents do not like to confront grandkids. They're too stinking cute. I don't care if they eat everything in the cupboard. And I don't care if everything in there got sugar in it. It's, they're the grandkids. I had to play that game with my kids. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Not grandkids. I eat it. It'll be all right. You're going home later anyhow. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we don't like confrontation. Jesus was not afraid of confrontation. He didn't stand right in their face and say, you can say it all you want to. It's just not the way that it is. Now, verse 45, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. So now, which of you convicts me of sin? And who among you, he's saying, is going to tell me that I'm wrong? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you are not hearing because you are not of God. That's pretty strong stuff there. So what he's saying is, is that we have the ability as spirit indwelt men and women of God to immediately know what the word of the Lord is and the truth of it. Have you ever heard somebody say something before and something in your spirit said, nope, ain't the way it is. I don't know why it's that way. I may have to look up some scripture. I may have to do some digging, 
But my spirit does not bear witness with what's being said. You know what, you know what is happening in you? The Spirit of the Lord is giving you discernment and saying, watch it. You can't, you can't take everything that is being said as gospel truth. You need to weigh it out. And how do you do that? Whether or not it aligns with Scripture. Not whether or not it aligns with TBN, but whether or not it aligns with Scripture. Because I don't care who said what and how good it was when it, and how it sounded when they said it. If it doesn't align with scripture, you cannot believe it as truth. And that's what Jesus is saying to them. He's saying, listen, said, if you were of my father, he who is of God, hears God's words. Then on the flip side of that is, is that when somebody speaks the truth, even though you may not understand it, you say, oh, Wow. That's it. That's the one right there. I, I, you know, on a regular basis, people come to me and they'll say, you know, pastor, I've been coming to church for years and years and years and never have understood this passage of scripture. Never did until you taught it tonight. And the instant that you said it, a light bulb went off in my mind. And I said, thank you, Jesus. I now understand what this word means. And I understand. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about spirit-filled teachers will, will say things that will allow spirit-filled people to say, yes, 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 truth. And when that happens, you won't be able to keep the praise down. You won't be able to keep the victory away because the word of God springs forth in truth in our spirit. What a wonderful thing. Now, let's, let's go on. Verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not right, say rightly that, number one, you're a Samaritan, and number two, you have a demon? Now, this is getting fun now, isn't it? I mean, they're standing right there in the face of Jesus. Number one, you're a Samaritan. Number two, you're full of the devil. You have a demon. And Jesus answered and said, I do not have a demon. I mean, that's, that's pretty clear, isn't it? I do not have a demon, he says. But I honor my father. And you are dishonoring me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. And most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Boy, now, Jesus just threw them a curveball, and they didn't even know what hit them. They said, you're a Samaritan, you're full of the devil. He said, oh, yeah? He said, well, if you'll believe my words and keep them in your heart, you'll never die. <laughs> I, Jesus just turns the corner, and they don't even, it's like, what? Where'd the demon thing go? Where'd the Samaritan thing go? I thought we were talking about that. Well, he answered that. I don't have a demon. But now let me say something to you. If you listen to my words, and if you'll abide in my words, you'll never see death. So now they're, they're really scrambling. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead. The prophets are dead. And now you're telling us, you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. 
Are you greater? Oh, man, they walked right into it. I mean, right smack dab into it. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. I'm getting ready to tell you. He said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. In other words, he's saying if, in this statement, he's saying, if all I am is a natural man, if that's all I am, then I could talk all day long and my words will mean nothing. So there's something here that, that exalts him above just being a natural man. He said, if I just honor myself, it's nothing. It is my father who honors me. Of whom you say that he is your God, yet you have not known him. But I do. That's what he says. But I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I am a liar just like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. And you need to know that your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Now think, think, Abraham's dead, right? Jesus said, Abraham was glad to see my day. And he saw it, but he's dead. These guys are going crazy. What kind of idiot is this? You know, they got a demon. They said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. They couldn't say that to me. And you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They didn't have anything else to say. They're dead in the water. But they're a bunch of prideful men. So you know what they decided to do instead of fall down and accept the words of Christ and believe? You know what they did? The scripture says, they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the middle of them and passed by. Walked right through the middle of them. They're trying to get rocks to kill him. I'm going to throw him. He just hid himself. I wonder how he did that. You ever see the old cartoons of the invisible man or whatever, and he just, he just, all of a sudden, I don't know. I don't know if it happened, or if he just, if he just turned around and walked out. But I know that they didn't stone him, and he ended the conversation. I'm telling you, what he is trying to say now, And what he is trying to clarify with them is that I am the Son of God. And all that you've heard, all that you've been taught, all that you've tried to learn is is leading you down the wrong path. So how does that apply to our lives today? Listen, I'm thankful that I was raised in a good Bible-believing church. I really am. But as good as as it was, I learned some things through tradition 
that were not scripturally accurate. And, and as a young man, I kind of I dealt with all these issues. We've talked about it at times, you know, how that I thought I could backslide 15 times in a day. And if, I, if somehow, if I died or if Jesus came back in that gap when I had just sinned, I, I was going to split hell wide open. I was taught that. I was taught that as the tradition of the old-time Pentecostal holiness church. Because that was what they believed. They weren't doing it to be mean. They just, that, that was the revelation that they had. That's what they believed. I've grown in my own relationship with the Lord now. And I understand that it's, it's not like the tradition that I came out of. That scripture is different than that. And so I don't lay my head on my pillow every night in fear. Oh God. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. <clears throat> I hope you still don't pray that. <clears throat> I hope you don't. <clears throat> because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who walk in the Spirit of God and are not walking in the flesh. That's what the Scripture says. And so what I'm trying to tell you is, is that Jesus is saying to them, look, really not trying to be mean to you here. If I was going to be mean to you, I'd just zap you all with lightning and go to the house. But I'm trying to teach you that you've bought into all the tradition that has not led you into a relationship with the Father and has led you into a relationship with the very Son of God that's standing right here in front of you and you can't even see me. And I don't know about you, but I want to have that kind of relationship with him. I want to have that kind of close, personal relationship with him. And the good news is we can all have it. Amen. Father, thank you for the word and thank you for this fine congregation that's here tonight. Thank you that they are hungry for you and your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we listen and as we chew it up, God, that you will put it in our spirit in such a way that it brings forth positive fruit in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen.